Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, October the 16th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. And I'm Pastor Tom Baker, taking a look at a lesson for this coming Sunday, the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, October the 22nd, in the year of our Lord, 2023. The lessons are from Isaiah chapter 45, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and Matthew chapter 22. I want to take a look at Matthew because it gives us insight as to how Jesus speaks to those who are unbelievers. You see, when you're in a church as a pastor, as I am, I'm speaking to believers. And so I use what John the Baptist does, first of all, in speaking about their sin. And the way I do it, I take a look at the vocations of the people who are in my congregation. And different congregations have different sets of people. And then when I look at their vocation, which means them being a father or a mother or a son or a daughter or a grandson or a grandmother, a grandfather, an employee, an employer, I can find a number of things that they may be sinning. And when you indicate that, it's kind of like what John the baptizer did when he was talking to the soldiers. He says, you know, it's not wrong for you to go and fight in a war to defend your country, but do not plunder your victims. Do not steal from them. And he gives them insights as to what God would consider to be sinful behavior. But now, when we're talking to an unbeliever, what does Jesus do? Well, chapter 22 of Matthew, beginning with verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his talk. So how do you plot someone to entangle them in their talk, in what they have to say? Well, they want Jesus to admit that their sins are not that important because Jesus is their redeemer from his point of view. And therefore, to believe in him, you will have eternal life. Now, that is totally contrary to Judaism that is believed by many of the Jews at the time of Jesus' day, including the Pharisees. And so, along with the Herodians, they sent their disciples to him. And here's what they say to Jesus. Now remember, they don't believe in him. Teacher, 
we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, the very next verse, verse 18, indicates Jesus' understanding of their question. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? And then he gives an answer. And what the answer does, it entangles the Pharisees in their talk rather than entangling Jesus. On Tuesday, we're going to be doing a hymn, but on Wednesday, we're going to go to Proverbs 26. And I just want to cover one item. It says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. In other words, guess what? Hostile strategy will backfire, and it will crush the person who attempts to do it. So how does Jesus do that with the Pharisees? They're digging a pit for Jesus. Why do they ask this question? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, Caesar was, of course, the conqueror of Palestine, and he was therefore the enemy of many in Judaism. And there were those who were trying to kill Roman soldiers and defend the country. And one of them was even a disciple of Jesus. And so they had a view that the way to get rid of Caesar was to kill their soldiers. Now, Jesus is aware if he says it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, if he just says, oh yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar. And he would quote what is yet to be written in Romans 13, that we obey the government and pay taxes to whom taxes are due. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. Now, remember, there was a parable Jesus had given some time ago about a farmer who hired laborers to work on his farm at different hours of the day. But at the end of the day, he paid all of them a full day's wage, which was a denarius. And therefore, he had his foreman 
pay the last workers who only worked one hour of the 12 hours a denarius, and the ones who had worked for 12 hours, even though they had agreed to a denarius, they got angry at the master and thought it was unfair. Well, from a human point of view, much of what Jesus says and does is unfair. He curses Pharisees and leaders in Judaism, and yet he eats with tax collectors and he eats with prostitutes. Eating in that day with someone meant that they were on an equal footing with you. And so this was terrible to the leading leaders of Judaism that he would work with the enemy the way he was. So Jesus recognizes that they are plotting to entangle him in his talk. And therefore, he says, show me the kind, the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And there may be a figure who is to be Caesar and writing about Caesar. And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, that was an amazing statement to make because they were putting the Pharisees in a fix. They now were being entangled in their talk and reminds us of Proverbs where it says, whoever digs a pit, he can fall into it. And whoever takes a stone and rolls it against you, it can come back on him who starts it rolling and, of course, buries them. So their attitude is interesting. Verse 22, when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. You see, it got to a point where it was very difficult to even have Jesus arrested. There was another occasion when they sent soldiers to arrest him and they came back empty-handed. And then when the Pharisees asked them, where's this Jesus? And they said, well, his words were such that the people really were astounded by him and we were unable to arrest him for fear of the people. In fact, every now and then Jesus gives a parable 
And in that parable, at the end of it, the Pharisees realized that he was talking about them. But they still won't touch him because he's considered to be a prophet. In the same way, they did not want to hurt or harm John the baptizer, even though they disagreed with him. So this is a really good technique in reaching out to unbelievers. Because you see, an unbeliever, when he asks you a question, he doesn't really believe you are the one who is giving true and teaching the way of God truthfully and that he doesn't care about anyone's opinion. He's not swayed by appearances. That's just trying to get on the good side of Jesus. And so you got to be careful when unbelievers ask you a question because behind their question is a flattering tongue that causes ruin. In fact, that's verse 28 of Proverbs we're going to be looking at in chapter 26. It says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. In other words, a flattering mouth means a smooth mouth. I mean, that sounds pretty nice when the Pharisees say that, Jesus, you are true. You teach the way of God truthfully. And they're probably doing that in the earshot of Jews who hate tax collectors because tax collectors the Romans would hire as Jews to collect the taxes. And oftentimes they would take more than what the Romans were demanding. And so even though they would have a flattering mouth, it was a smooth mouth. In fact, this is the only time in the whole Old Testament that the word flattering or smooth modifies the mouth. And yet, it's talking about somebody who is a lying tongue and wants to flatter you so that you will give an answer that therefore they can crush you with your answer. No, a flattering mouth can cause ruin. This, by the way, is an explanation of which commandment? The fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Remember Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you don't even commit murder when you do an action against someone and kill them, but when you speak against them or when you have a bad thought. And what happens that's a lying tongue that hates its victims. And you may be rolling a stone against your enemy, 
but it will roll back over him who starts it rolling. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He uses this technique in a number of places in the scripture. Uh, for example, with the disciples who are not liking his approach to children. He takes them in his arms and blesses them. Well, for them, children are like women or Gentiles. They even have a different place of worship in the temple. And so they chastise Jesus for working with children because they are not yet bar mitzvahed, that is, confirmed, so to speak. And Jesus, suffer the little children to come unto me. And the word suffer here has nothing to do with suffering. It's the way that you would say, permit the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, that puts the disciples in an embarrassing situation. What are they going to do? Say that Jesus should not deal with children? No. They're stuck. They don't want to go against Jesus. So it's very important that one way we can say this is when you're talking with an unbeliever, they're asking you questions and their language to you is very smooth with a flattering mouth towards you, be aware that they are trying to entangle you in your talk. And therefore, they will ask questions that their people will think, well, this is the way he should answer, and you don't answer that way because you are speaking God's truth. And when you speak God's truth, it entangles people. They've dug a pit for you, but they're the ones who are going to fall into it. And we certainly saw that with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They made a cross. They affixed Jesus to the cross. In the year 70 AD, God permitted the Romans not only to take over Jerusalem, but to destroy the temple. This is what was happening when Jesus was on the cross and the curtain of the temple tore. It did not mean that now you can go into the Holy of Holies. It meant that God left the Holy of Holies in the same way that the Holy Spirit did at the time of the Babylonian captivity. When Israel, who were worshiping false idols, ended up losing their kingdom there by the Babylonians and being taken into imprisonment, they ended up in the pit that they were digging and the stone that they were rolling against God 
came back rolling over them. So it's not easy to do witnessing, but the best way to do it is when you meet a flattering person who's trying to get you on their side, listen carefully to their question. For example, Jesus asked a number of questions. Who do men say that I am? And some said, well, some think you're John the Baptist, returned from the dead, because he had been beheaded by Herod. Others think you're a prophet. Others think you're Isaiah. And then Peter says, but we believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember what Jesus says to Peter? That did, come, did not come out of your own mind, Peter, but that came from the Holy Spirit. And so even though I asked a question and a number of you had the wrong answer, Peter had the correct answer because he was inspired by God to give that answer, which is the correct one. We see Jesus doing that a number of times with his disciples and plenty of times with his opponents because his opponents are trying to entangle him in his own words. It reminds me of the rich man comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, see, he uses the word inherit. But what he says in the rest of the sentence is really trying to entangle Jesus. Because what does a person do to inherit something? Now, murderers may kill the person from whom they are going to inherit a gift. They may know that ahead of time. But normally, an inheritance is a gift, and you don't know what it's going to be until the end of the person's life and the will is written. And when that will is written, sometimes you would receive additional funding. And that is very important. But it's not what was intended by some people to do that. It was intended instead. So with a rich man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That word do shows us how he's trying to entangle Jesus. What does Jesus say, by the way? Well, sell all your money, give to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Well, Jesus is talking about faith, which, of course, a scheming man cannot have, apart from the Holy Spirit.
And so he does not receive what he thinks he's going to receive. In fact, the disciples are really confused with this. And they even ask Jesus, then who can be saved a little later in the passage? And what does Jesus say? With men, it is impossible to do anything to be saved. Uh, We have that in our liturgy, that there is nothing we can do to offset our sins. Instead, our sins stand before God, and the only way they can be offset is with the blood of Jesus Christ, who died for those sins. Jesus doesn't mention that because he's talking to unbelievers who are trying to entangle him. So a lot of times, you may not give the true answer because it misses the mark of what these people are trying to do. Very interesting. The Pharisees plotting how to entangle Jesus in his talk. You can only imagine that they got together in the group and said, well, you know, the people hate the tax collectors. Let's get Jesus to agree that he wants to talk to tax collectors and bring them into his kingdom. That will certainly put the people on our side. And so they're using the question to entangle Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus shows them a coin whose likeness and inscription of Caesar is on it. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Verse 22 says, When the Pharisees heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Uh, A good technique for dealing with unbelievers is to entangle them in their thinking. And it can be done with prayer to the Holy Spirit. Join us tomorrow for the hymn, God Bless You. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.